Audrey Lord's writing is an impulse towards wholeness. What she says and how she says it engages us both emotionally and intellectually. She writes from the particulars of who she is. Black woman, lesbian, feminist, mother of two children, daughter of Grenadian immigrants, educator, cancer survivor, and activist. She creates material from the dailiness of her life that we can use to help shape ours. Out of her desire for wholeness, I need to encompass and address all parts of herself. She teaches us about the significance of difference, that raw and powerful connection from which our personal power is forged. Intro. Dun, 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 dun. The title is Sister Outsider. It's a collection of essays written by Audrey Lord. And what I just read about her writing being um, an impulse towards wholeness is quite true. I enjoyed reading it. She was both intellectual and emotional. It was nice. I have uh, many highlights, so let's not talk too much about this and that. Page 72. I asked... Fike, somebody's name. Oh, Fika. Let's go with Fika. I asked Fika about the Soviet position, what the Soviet position was on homosexuality, and Fika answered that there was no public position because it wasn't a public matter. Of course, I know better than that, but I have very few inroads into finding out the truth, and Helen is much too proper to discuss anything sexual. She traveled to Russia and she found it quite different from America and every other place she has been. One is a socialist country and let me just read this part for you so that you understand. If you've never been to Russia, you know, you have an idea of how they live their lives there. Well, not now, not at the moment because there's the war and everything, but, um, Let's read page 66. But she talked most movingly about the history of the women of. Hold on, I think another part should have come before this one. No? Okay. But she talked more, most movingly about the history of the women of Uzbekistan, a history which deserves more writing about. Then I can give it here. The ways in which women of this area from 1924, um, that's a country in Asia. Is it Asia? Asia? Europe? Wow, crack yourself, my love. I think it's Europe. Um, yeah, it's Europe, right? For the life of me, I can't remember. I'm sorry for my geography. I apologize. Um, Uzbekistan, where is it? Europe or Asia? A history which deserves more writing about Sudan, I can give it. The ways in which the women of this area from 1924 on fought to come out. Okay, this was what was fascinating about um, 
this part. The fourth come to come out from behind complete veiling from Muslim cloister to the 20th century. How they gave their lives to go barefaced to be able to read. Many of them fought and many of them died very terrible deaths in this battle. Killed by their own fathers and brothers. I thought that was... Maybe she didn't mean like their own... Like a woman's own father and brother. Maybe she just meant like generally. Because that confused me. It was alarming. It's a story of general female heroism and persistence. I thought of the South African women in 1956 who demonstrated and died rather than carry past books. For the Obeki women, revolution meant being able to show their faces and go to school, and they died for it. A bronze statue stands in a square of Samarkand, monument to the fallen women and their bravery. Madame went on, or Madame, yeah, you want to say, Madame went on to discuss the women of modern Uzbekistan and how there was full equality between the sexes. Oh, it's a country that has um, achieved that. Clap for you. How many women now headed collective farms? How many women ministers? She said there were a great many ways in which women governed. There was no difference between men and women now in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Oh, we're in Europe. Tough for me. Finally, finally. Fine, since morning. Wow, such a disgrace. I was touched by these statistics, of course, but I also felt there was a little more sweet that met the eye. It sounded too easy. Two parts. Madam spoke of the daycare centers of kindergartens where children could be cared for in collective farms. The kindergartens are free in large cities like Moscow and Tashkent. Tashkent is the capital. Yeah. But I didn't know what continent it was on. Still a disgrace. But in Samarkand, there's a nominal fee of about two rubles. A month, which is in childcare is free, kindergarten is free, healthcare is free. W- this same planet, <laughs> can you hear my Nigerian side speaking? This same planet, <sighs> but in Samarkand, there's a nominal fee of about two rupees a month, which is very little. She said, I asked that one question whether men are encouraged to work in the kindergartens to give the children a gentle male figure at an early age madame is bulk is bulkan hesitated for a moment no she said we like to believe that when the children come to the kindergarten they acquire a second mother mm, i think that's the only part that's you know it's a bit distinct although the sentiment behind this is quite nice um but if they've managed to achieve all of these things my dear, sure we don't want to be socialist like this, this country. Um, I think that's where we'll stop for that. It just it was nice. It was nice to be aware of other people that are living better lives and are not fighting. You know, the USA is what we always see. Like, oh, they are living better lives, or the UK or Canada. It's what we usually see. They are living better lives. They have to enforce several like this, this, that, 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 that. But they are 
society is largely chaotic largely especially in the social social arena and political arena but this was something else you know people were calm it was nice working well we can't speak for russia now but people things were quite calm although they fought hard for their freedom too at least they are not fighting anymore it's a bit of peace praise the lord we'll get there too there seems to be quite an interest in black americans among the peoples of russia but an interest that is played down somewhat Fika, my Ethiopian companion who studied at the university, was often questioned about about me in Russian. I had developed enough of an ear for the language to be able to notice that Fika frequently said frequently did not say I was from America. Most people in Tashkent and Samarkand who I met Samarkand who I met thought I was African. Or from Cuba, and everyone is also very interested in Cuba. This fascination with all things American is something that keeps coming up over and over again. Exactly, you get there are other parts of the world, people, other great parts of the world, even people in Russia are curious about Americans. So, there's that. This man wanted to know from me whether American black people, this one was you know, American black people were allowed to go to school. I said yes. And Helen said yes to him, and then he wanted to know if we were allowed to teach. And I said yes. I was a professor at the University of the City of New York, but he was surprised at that. He said that he had seen a television program one time about the black people of America that we had no jobs. So Helen started to answer him, and he stopped her. Then she angrily said he wanted me to speak because he wanted to look at my face so he could see how I answered. I told Helen to tell him that the question was not that we could never go to college, but that frequently, even when black people went to college, we had no jobs when we came out. That it was more difficult for black people to find work and make any kind of living. And that the, per- the percentage of unemployed unemployment among American black people was far higher than that of American white people. He pondered that for a little while and then he asked, do black people have to pay for their doctors too? Because that's what TV programs had said. I smiled a little at this and told him it's not only black people who have to pay for doctors and medical care. All people in America have to. Ha, he said. And suppose you don't have the money to pay. Well, I said, if you don't have the money to pay, sometimes you die. Ah. And there was no mistake in my my gesture, even though he had to wait for the translator to translate it. We left him looking absolutely, absolutely not lost, standing in the middle of the square with his mouth open and his hand under his chin, staring absolutely. As in utter amazement that human beings could die from lack of medical care. Look at this guy. It's the first time people can die from lack of medical care. Have you been to Nigeria, baby? I shouldn't call you baby. Hmm. It's things like that that keep me dreaming about Russia long after I've returned. So, um, she's a socialist also. Ah, I guess I would probably become a socialist if I, if I, were, if I were the one that went there. I'd probably be, become a socialist if I were the one that had gone to Russia to go experience all these things. Will I even want to come back? Wow. This lady. Oh, she, had, she has a family in America, so... She has a job in America, and our people are in America. So, (sighs) 
um it will it will take a while and a lot of dreams to metabolize all i've seen and felt in these hectic two weeks i haven't even discussed the close bonding i felt with some of the african writers and how difficult it was to get to know others i have no reason to believe russia is a free society i have no reason to believe russia is a classless society russia does not even appear to be a strictly egalitarian society but bread does cost a few kopecks a loaf and everyone i saw seemed to have enough of it of course i did not see siberia nor a prison camp nor a mental hospital but that fact in a world where most people certainly most black people are on a bread concern level seems to be seems to me to be quite a lot if you conquer the bread problem that gives you at least a chance to look around at the others yeah we see a food problem in this this side so yeah there's that hmm it's for this topic this chapter is about poetry she's a poet so um i just highlighted a random place in the chapter that's why i had to tell you that it's about poetry because all we're going to talk about here is poetry i speak here of poetry as a revelatory distillation of experience not the sterile word play that too often the white fathers distorted the word poetry to mean in order to cover a desperate wish for imagination without insight. Ay, she just dissed all the people. <laughs> dissed everybody. <laughs> Did she diss what, what Shakespeare? John Don. Hi, Christopher Marlowe. What's so sorry? <laughs> for women. Um, she was preaching poetry for women, like we should write more. For women then poetry is not a luxury my dear it's a vital necessity of our existence it forms the quality of the light within which we predicate our hopes and dreams towards survival and change first made into language then into idea then into more tangible action poetry is the way we help give name to the nameless so it can be thought the father's excuse me the father's horizons of our hopes and dreams are coupled by our, po- our poems carved from the rock experiences of our daily lives as they become known to and accepted by us our feelings and the honest exploration of them become sanctuaries and spawning grounds for the most radical and daring of ideas they become a safe house for that difference so necessary to change and the conceptualization of any meaningful action Right now, I could name at least 10 ideas I would have found intolerable or incomprehensible and frightening, except as they came after dreams and poems. This is not ideal fantasy, but a disciplined attention to the true meaning of it feels right to me. We can train ourselves to respect our feelings and transpose them into a language so they can be shared. And where that language does not yet exist, it is our poetry which helps to fashion it. Poetry is not only dream and vision. It is the skeleton architecture of our lives. It lays the foundations for a future of change, a bridge across our fears and what has never been before. So, you heard that about poetry. She's a poet, so she's saying all of that from a very, very personal place. Um, Poetry must mean a lot to her. I don't know how many of you write and see the necessity of writing poetry. Um, <clears throat> I used to write a lot of poetry 
and they used to be largely about my feelings because that's what poetry is i don't write about random things i just used to write as a need to expel whatever it is that was roaming around in my head but now i have other hmm, what i call it medicine form of ter- forms of therapy yeah i have other forms of therapy so i don't necessarily um i don't write poetry anymore like at all i don't remember the last time i wrote poetry i think when my heart was broken and I couldn't study the Bible away my pain. I couldn't read my take away the pain. I couldn't well I could have, but I didn't know that technique at that time. I've never even tried reading the Bible to take away my pain before. Um but I wrote a lot. Anytime I have overwhelming feelings, um and it doesn't occur to me to talk to God, I usually write about them. I write about them. And sometimes when I even talk to God about it, I write about it. Just to get it out, especially when I don't know what, what exactly the problem is. And writing about it stops you from thinking around, thinking in circles, like you typically think, think in circles when you don't know what's wrong with you, but there's something upsetting your spirit. You think and start to think in circles. Is this what it is? Is this what it is? You think about the topic, you ask many questions, you still don't figure it out. That's how it goes until you figure it out. So, but I'm going to see if I'll be able to write more. It just encouraged me a bit. Um, but these days I do things because if I want to do something, I have to make it fit into my life. And it has to have um, an importance. I don't know if I've been moved completely to to do it yet. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, what are the words you do not yet have? What do you need to say? What are the tyrannies you swallow day by day and attempt to make your own until you will seeking and die of them still in silence? Perhaps for some of you here today, I am the face of one of your fears because I am woman, because I am black, because I am lesbian, because I am myself, a black woman warrior poet doing my work. Come to ask you, are you doing yours? And of course, I am afraid because the transformation of silence into language and action is an act of self-revolution, my dear. Never should put my poetry. Never. I think it was just last year because I make a lot of content on my social media that I shared about two or three of my poems. I don't share poetry. <laughs> Too personal. <laughs> If you read just one of my journals, I feel like you know how my mind works and all the things that I feel too much. And that always seems fraught with, uh, with danger. But my daughter, when I told her of our topic and my difficulty with it, said, tell them about how you are never really a whole person if you remain silent because there's always that one little piece inside you that wants to be spoken out and if you keep ignoring it it gets madder and madder and hotter and hotter and if you don't speak it out one day it's just up and punch you in the mouth from the inside <laughs> so speak your truth it's, it's was that directed to me i speak my truth 
I've gotten really good at expressing myself and saying exactly what's on my mind. Poetry is just not the way that I do it. Um, each one of us is here now because in one way or the other, we share a commitment to language and to the power of language and to the reclaiming of that language which has been made to work against us in the transformation of silence into language and speech. It is she's talking about silencing women, like from this one and the other one, how we shouldn't stay silent. It is vitally necessary for each of us to establish or examine our function in that transformation and to recognize our role as vital within that transformation. For those of us who write, it is necessary to scrutinize not only the truth of what we speak, but the truth of that language by which we speak. For others, it is to share and spread also those words that are meaningful to us. But primarily for us all, it is necessary to teach by living and speaking those truths which we believe and know beyond understanding. Because in this way alone, we can survive by taking part in a process of life that is creative and continuing. That is growth. And it is never without fear or visibility of the harsh light of scrutiny and perhaps judgment of pain, of death. But we have lived through all of those already in silence except death. And I remind myself all the time that if I were to have been born mute or had maintained an oath of silence my whole life long for safety, I would still have suffered and I would still die. It is very good for establishing perspective. And where the words of women are crying to be heard, we must, each of us, recognize our responsibility to seek those words out, to read them and share them and examine them in their pertinence to our lives, that we not hide behind the mockeries of separations that have been imposed upon us and which so often we accept as our own. For instance, I can't possibly teach black women's writing. Um, their experience is so different from mine. Yet, how many years have I spent teaching Plato and Shakespeare? Or another, she's a white woman, and what could she possibly have to say to me? Or she's a lesbian, what would my husband say, or my chairman? Or again, this woman writes of her, of her sons, and I have no children, and all the other endless ways in which we rob ourselves of ourselves and each other. Yeah, just sit down and listen, and also share. We can learn to work and speak when, when we are afraid, in the same way we have learned to work and speak when we are tired, for we have been socialized to respect fear more than our own needs for language and definition. And while we wait in silence for that final luxury of fearlessness, the weight of that silence would choke us. The fact that we are here and that I speak these words in an attempt to break that silence and bridge some of those differences between us, for it is not difference which immobilizes us, but silence. And there are so many silences to be broken. Love it. Especially love that part about fearlessness. Um, and speaking your mind and how silence makes you even more afraid. My first my first video, well not my first video, but I'm going to call it my first video because the first video I had on my YouTube channel was about teaching people how to read a book per week because I know that I'll get a lot of questions about how do you manage to read 10 books in one week? No, 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 no. And I don't want everybody reading 10 books in one week. If you want to do that, great. But a lot of people can't do that. So I did the experiment of actually reading a book per week and made a video of it and put it online. 
so if you want to actually stay consistent you can just take the reading strategy from there but what i consider my very first video is the one i did last week on homosexuality and i said in that video that a lot of people are probably wondering why i chose that topic and it's just i'm just tired of being afraid like i spend my day i don't think about it a, a lot but when it does come up it's something that um that i'm aware that a group of people are struggling with one that some a group of people are accepted and are living proudly with i'm saying with as if it's some sort of illness it's not um but i hope you get what i mean like they are the, the people's relationship with it or people's opinions and thoughts about these things quite different and especially different in nigeria where it's not a public affair so i just like fuck it let's just do what we want to do let's speak our mind let's be honest with ourselves let's actually read and educate ourselves because immediately you get knowledge is empowering and immediately you speak up your fears fall away i wasn't even scared like throughout the week i wasn't scared during the video i wasn't scared um I was scared at one point. Was it after the video? No, it wasn't after. Was it right before the video? Oh, I remember. Um, I'd made the video. I'd posted it. Yeah. Or was that? No, I'd not posted it. I'd not posted it. I went to go and see a friend. We had um, snacks at Chicken Rep, a restaurant. And he, he was trying to say he was trying to be logical about it like oh that it was and present an argument about the african the Niger, nigerian the animal kingdom the animals are no homosexuals and i'm like mm. i told him a couple of animals that were actually um they swung that way and he's like nah 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 don't talk to me don't talk to me anymore you're confusing me i'm just like there's no arguments you can't win an argument all of it is just plain logic okay the only person that wins an argument when it comes to homosexuality is the person with the last word the best arguer that's that's the person that wins i'm sorry that's just the person that wins so when we argue no side wins not the people who are on the side of homosexuality and not the people who are no matter who comes out triumphant no matter who works the other person hardest nobody wins every argument you have has a countering idea do you understand that's what i got from history and from reading all those books none of them none it's your belief that actually matters what you believe matters okay so at the end of the day we are still the ones who have to make the choice you have to it's not based on anything you have to make the choice if you say you're going to base it on logic you are choosing logic if you say you're going to base it on your faith in god you are choosing your faith in god it's just one or the other it's not it's not oh this argument wins it's not that it's just not that so if you have faith in god and you believe that um homosexuality is bad some people even have faith in God. I don't believe that homosexuality is bad. So there's, there's also that part. But if you have faith in God, you believe every single word in the Bible. Um, you try to live in love with people because that's still the point of it. And one person, and it, 
tomboy sexuality is not all of them. They function normally. Everybody functions normally. And especially in this country, anybody could have these things. Anybody could have slept with a girl. Anybody at all. Anybody. When you're walking on the streets, they're like people that have done all these things. So it's not even... Immediately, I said reading, like, my point of view just widened. And it became something I didn't fear anymore. Like, at the end of the day... um. It wasn't about it wasn't even about me being homophobic anymore because homophobic being homophobic is the fear of you having sexual attraction. It's in this book the fear of you having um attraction being attracted to the same sex. It is the fear of you being attracted to the same sex that then results in the hatred of somebody who has something like that. When I read that um meaning, I was just like, yeah, that's so good. I was most definitely homophobic because i was scared of randomly catching feelings for another girl do you get because there's nothing stopping you boys always be like um i can never like sleep with another boy you could just think it's violent because you get you know the sex that's what a lot of boys think that is quite violent but you can fall in love with the man there's not there's literally nothing stopping you if it's your own willpower, all you need is to be put in a house with somebody that understands your style of love. And all they have to do is love you that way. You will trip. <laughs> you will trip, my love. You will trip. But I stopped being homophobic because I stopped fearing that I will catch feelings for another girl. Not that I don't think that it's not a possibility. But I just know that it will never work. It just will never work. You know. I've I've chosen to believe something else entirely. And I have chosen it for myself, of my own free will. Not just because, you know, I just read it somewhere. Because I, I came to understand those things. And I trust God. And my relationship with God has bloomed so much that i can't help but trust him and believe him and take his word for it and keep trusting him to increase my understanding because it's, it's a matter of understanding it's not like yes you're logical you're intellectual but god's way of doing things is the things of his kingdom it's quite different from everything that we know and i'm not just talking about homosexuality i hope you listen to the other podcast i have that i um do with my friend it's titled be with bb and mo we talk about all these things that how god like the things about the kingdom of god like the things i'm finding out of late and i'm trying to incorporate in my life because i want i don't want my life to be a bit slow and because i'm a child of god god will not let me jump classes and i will definitely remain in the same spot if i don't grow so i'm talking so much and i'm not talking about the book i'm sorry i hope you enjoyed this <laughs> so the ways of the kingdom so different guys like i've lived the life so different and i'm not saying do this don't do that it's 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 largely about that but it's also a way of thinking that is different like you asking god for something and then going to go ask somebody else i just found out yesterday that that's a form of fornication guys it is fornication <laughs> it's like having a man a boyfriend or a husband that hi i need love from you 
and then you say oh just give me two minutes let me finish this and then you go and ask somebody else for the love like god this is not the place for it this is purely intellectual so let's focus on that if you want to listen to different things not just homosexuality not just, but like the understanding of people who live in god's kingdom and immediately you become a christian every other way of life stops working for you do you understand <laughs> they just stop working for you because you have accepted god and the devil will not let you come and be with god and be blooming under his own organization he can't let you he can't let you <laughs> he just can't that's why things get hard for a lot of christians you don't understand how god's kingdom works you don't his kingdom is so it's like wiring your entire brain that's what it is and it's the holy spirit helps a lot it's step by step by step it won't overwhelm you um because you will break down you you actually will break down you won't be able to focus on other things and that's not the point you are you are still also supposed to stay productive because you must be productive it is the whole thing ladies are jet bed and bear good fruits um let's continue i like this book and i actually want to talk about everything i got here so come on talk too much man um okay page 91 the transformation of silence into let's not read that because we said we read the topic already we read the chapter already it's about um transforming your silence into language like expressing yourself that's what it is about so i don't know why they got arranged scattered they don't like it it's confusing me now Page 98. And where the words of women are crying to be heard. We have done that. Imagine. It's my fault, really. Scratching the surface. That's the title of the... Okay, this is what I was talking about. Scratching the surface. Some notes on barriers to women and loving. Racism means the belief in the inherent superiority of one race over all others and maybe the right to dominance. Sexism is the belief in the inherent superiority of one sex and thereby the right to dominance heterosexual heterosexism is the belief in the inherent superiority of one pattern of loving and thereby its right to dominance homophobia is the fear of feelings of love for members of one's own sex and therefore the hatred of those feelings in others okay got that we moving on to a large degree at least verbally the black community has moved beyond two steps behind a man concept two steps behind a man concept of sexual relations sometimes mounted as desirable during the 60s this was a time when the myth of the black matriarchy as a social disease was being presented by racist forces to redirect our attention away from the real sources of black oppression for black women as well as black men it is axiomatic it's axiomatic that if we do not define ourselves by for ourselves we will be defined by others correct for their use and to our detriment 
the development of self-definition i think that's the beginning that was the beginning of the whole thing like women never define themselves but men had the opportunity to define themselves they basically owned history they were able to define themselves and then they defined women and they defined women only in relation to them that was largely where the problem came from they defined women only in relation to them and what they defined them in relation to was based on their biology and based on how they fit into their lives like us subordinates that was how they defined women but now women have they threw that of course they would have to throw that the overturn that um but i don't like when we completely overturn it because it's there were no horrible things they were horrible men and horrible people but the concepts were not horrible the fact that we can be defined in relation to man by our biology stands because it's a fact the fact that um we are we can be defined women can be defined based on our how we come into their lives not not as but not not that superiority whatever but like we come into their lives as um helpers and comforters and companions to be in their life to play a role in their life as wives as whatever there's also that not as slaves but as wives that there's that part but there's also the part where we can define ourselves according to like our career and fulfillment and the the respect that we want to cite how our legacies there's so many ways we can define ourselves but we were not given the opportunity to actually define ourselves holistically we just defined ourselves by like biology what was between our legs and our boobs and what again the fact that men liked us for some reason well not for some reason pretty awesome but so of course things have to come and shift. I th- today is Thursday, tomorrow is Friday. I feel bad that I've not read any actual history book that chronologically states the whole um woman rights movement. I've read I read Vindication of the Rights of Women by Mary Wilson Crafts today. It's a quite a popular book, feminism. We spoke about it in my um, literature class in the university a lot although we didn't read it it was just something that our lecturers kept mentioning as we read other feminist work um but uh i need to find a history book i'm getting mad i'm reading personal accounts and very modern 21st century books i want a book it can be 21st century but i want a book where the history is followed and i was one that chose the books for the week the definition of self-defined black women ready to explore and pursue our power and interests within our communities is a vital component in the war for black liberation the image of the angolan woman with a baby on one arm and a gun the other is neither romantic nor fanciful when black women in this country come together to examine our sources of strength and support and to recognize our common social cultural emotional and political interests it's a development which can only contribute to the power of black community as a whole it can certainly it can certainly never diminish it for it is through the coming together of self-actualized individuals female and male that our real advances can be made i wonder what our stance is on um 
trans women, trans men. But she clearly uses binary words here. Male, female. And that's what she ever does. She, she's quiet. She calls women women and calls men men. She doesn't pretend like she sees other groups. She just says men and women. Every time I saw that a lot throughout the book. And you hear it when she describes her children. I hope I'm able to get there so that we can talk about how she raises her kids. Um, Black women, not in a bad way, just... <laughs> anyway, she raises them cool. So, um, in a nice way that I admire. So, we are not going to talk shit about that. Black women, not that we talk shit about people. You get my point. Black women who define themselves and our goals... Who define ourselves and our goals beyond the sphere of a sexual relationship can bring to any endeavor the realized focus of complete of completed and therefore empowered individuals. Yeah, you're not defining yourself only by your sex. Black women and black men who recognize that the development of their particular strength and interest does not diminish the other, do not need to diffuse their energies fighting for control over each other. We can focus our intentions against the real economic, political, and social forces at the heart of this society, which are ripping us and our children and our world apart. Yeah. There's that. So focus on the real issue. You know, we're different, but we can still come together and focus on what the issue is. But they have to be self-actualized individuals. It cannot just be... People who only define themselves based on their sex. You know, do other things. Find out what you like. You know. Live without a man or a woman for a while. If that's what will help you be self-actualized. Or be around people who encourage you to try out things. That should help. That should help. All too often, the message comes loud and clear to black women from black men. I am the only prize worth having, and there are not too many of me. And remember, I can go elsewhere. So if you want me, you've got to stay in your place, which is away from one another, or I'll call you lesbian and wipe you out. Black women are programmed to define ourselves within this male attention and to compete with each other for it rather than to recognize and move upon our common interest. Well, that's what she says. Um, I, th- I think I see that in the way that um, black women, not all, but the stereotypical black woman that they usually show fights for a man, even though he cheated on her, scratches his car, those are type of things that just make us look at her like, nah, babe, you shouldn't have. Things like that. But I think that's what she meant in that place because it's... um The main thing, they're all that. Mm. And so they must be thoughtful. I think... M- I don't know the men that are proud <laughs> that are proud when women are fighting over them or the women that go and fight over men I always wonder shouldn't you be fighting the man isn't I him you're supposed to fight <laughs> who is the real enemy here 
I don't even think she'd be fighting her, but if she can't treat you like trash, then my dear, you are not trash. You should walk away. Moving on, moving on. War, imprisonment, and the streets have decimated the ranks of black black males of marriageable age. The fury of many black heterosexual women against white women who date black men is rooted in this on unequal sexual equation within the black community since whatever threatens to widen that equation is deeply and articulately resented but this is essentially unconstructed resentment because it extends sideways also it can never result in true progress on the issue on the issue because it does not question the vertical lines of power or authority nor the sexist assumptions that dictate the terms of that competition and the racism of white women might be better addressed where it is less complicated by their own sexual oppression in this situation it is not the non-black woman who calls the tune but rather the black man who turns away from himself in his sisters or who through a fear borrowed from white men reads her strength not as a resource but as a challenge hmm. Mm. don't fight the women the man is the problem in this place in this thing i'm not saying all men are the problem or in this place that we just read why you feel that why you feel threatened by a white person taking your man or or your man looking at other women or other black women things like that and then you're fighting them it's not really the girls you should fight it's, it's the man it's an asshole for treating you that way um there are many kinds of power this chapter is on uses of erotic the erotic as power there are many kinds of power used and unused acknowledged or otherwise the erotic is a resource within each of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane firmly rooted in the power of an unexpressed or unrecognized feeling in order to perpetuate itself every oppression must corrupt or distort those various sources of power within the culture of the oppressed that can provide energy for change for women this has meant a suppression of the erotic as a considered source of power and information within our lives we have been taught to suspect this resource vilify abuse and devalue within western society on one hand the superficially erotic has been encouraged as a sign of female inferiority on the other hand women who have made who have been made to suffer and to feel both contemptible and suspect by virtue of its existence okay it's a short step from there to the false belief that only by the suppression of the erotic within our lives and consciousness can women be truly strong wrong but that strength is illusionary illu illu sorry illusory that tripped me up it is 
fashioned within the context of context of male models of power you know when they say you have to be very driven very this you should be driven you should be well it's up to you but i don't know um like you should be a man the way a man is the what should i say wall street man is dressed and not very sensual just gets the job done that's what they encourage but we're saying be more gently erotic baby embrace that thing inside of you so again i'm wondering what our perspective on trans um gender issues it's about what's our stance because now she's encouraging us women to embrace our erotic side and not what you see in porn she's going to say that very soon let's go find it at all that's not erotic well that's a form but quite deceptive form um um, 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 um. The erotic has often been misnamed by men and used against women. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic, the plasticized sensation. For this reason, we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information, confusing it with its opposite, the pornographic. But, pornograph- but pornography is a direct denial of the power of the erotic, for it represents the suppression of true feeling. And you are blessed, my girl, from your roots. Are ble- <laughs> uh, you know that that story where was it Jacob or Isaac? Isaac was about to die, and he told Esau to make him food so that he would bless him. Then Jacob came and fed him. Do you know when you want to really, really bless somebody? Ask them to give you something. Something that you like. Before you know, your inside will bless it. <laughs> you will feel good. And then, you will bless it them. Bless them so much. That's what's happening to me right now. This lady, this baby girl. I'm blessing her so much. Because baby girl is speaking the truth, baby. She's speaking the truth. Okay. Um, It suppresses true feeling pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos and the chaos of our strongest feelings it's an internal sense of satisfaction to which once we have experienced it we know we can aspire excuse me for having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power in honor and self-respect we can require no less of ourselves. I don't know if anybody knows anything about that or oh, erotic thinking, but let's let's go here. The very word erotic comes from the Greek word eros. 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 I'm not sure. The personification of love in all its aspects. Born of chaos and person personifying creative power and harmony when i speak of the erotic then i speak of it as an assertion of the life force of women of that creative energy embodied empowered empowered the knowledge and the use of which we are now reclaiming in our language our history our dancing our loving our work our lives baby they there are frequent 
attempts to equate pornography and erotism to diametrically opposite uses of the sexual. Because of this attempt, it has become fashionable to separate the spiritual, that the psychic and the emotional, from the political, to see them as contradictory or antithetical. What do you mean a poetic revolution, a meditating gun runner? In the same way, we have attempted to separate the spiritual and the erotic, thereby reducing the spiritual to a world of flattening effects, a world of the ascetic who aspires to feel nothing. Baby, baby, <laughs> but nothing is farther from the truth. For the ascetic position is one of the highest fear, the gravest immobility, the severe absence abstinence the severe abstinence of ascetic becomes the ruling obsession and it is one not of self-discipline but of self-abnegation abnegation the dichot that's um abnegation self-abnegation is like punishment right it's like you taking yourself out of everything that could possibly give you joy self-discipline is you still having joy but regulating it so that you don't lose control over your life and you don't meet your goals self-abdignation okay the dichotomy between the spiritual and the political is also false resulting from an incomplete attention to our erotic knowledge for the bridge which connects them is formed by the erotic the sensual thus physical emotional and psychic expressions of what is deepest and strongest and richest within each of us being shared passions of love in its deepest meaning beyond the superficial the considered phrase it feels right to me acknowledges the strength of the erotic it feels right to me oh in all cases so um (laughs) yeah it does it acknowledges the strength of the erotic in um in all cases let me not bring the issue of right and wrong here acknowledges the strength of the erotic into a true into a true knowledge for what that means is the first and most powerful guiding light towards any understanding there's no line and understanding is the handmaiden which can only wait upon or clarify that knowledge deeply born the erotic is the natural or not made of all our deepest knowledge clap 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 does that make sense do i have to explain it do i there's one reason why the erotic is so feared and so often relegated to the bedroom only. You know, when... Like, I have a <laughs> slight problem. Um, Next week, I'm going to be reading on decency, about the culture of clothes, about how to present yourself in public. Mm, I'm really hoping for the Holy Spirit to, of course, the Holy Spirit to guide me. Amen. Um, Jesus, amen. Um, so... Because I want to know, I'm not a flat out, like, I'm a woman, you guess. <laughs> so I'm a woman. How am I supposed to be functional, you know, be smart, look smart, look like I can handle things, and still look like a woman? That's what she's trying to say here, being erotic, you know, taking it out of the bedroom, not having unnecessary, like... But like it's like taking a trace of it out of the bedroom. Like it's not only in the bedroom where you have to take on a character. It's only let me explain it this way. When you're in the bedroom, you're being who you are. But when you're in the bedroom, something 
makes that side of you to be even more potent. So you're not saying smart words. You're just being completely sensual. Then when you are you are being yourself, but then you, you, are, you go to teach a class, you are being yourself. But then because you're in a classroom, that side of you that is incredibly smart is what is being shown. But that primary place, that place where you have to, when you're calm and seated just in public, that side of you that is not particularly manifesting anything, it's just being a woman, that side of you should also have that element of the erotic. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Okay? That's what I'm saying. But a lot of us, she, she describes it as self-abnegation. So a lot of us, Christians anyway, we like to take that part out as if it doesn't exist or we say it's unholy or that part is you are denying yourself from where then do you want to get the basic energy to be flirt in the bedroom you will not care about being your feelings you will just want to have sex and be done with it but it has to be like in every day that basic that's just opinion now it's not inside the bible i've not checked <laughs> so i can't tell i have talked to god a lot more about it but that's what she's saying here and right now i agree I don't know if I will agree next week after I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and praying about it. I don't know if I'll agree. But right now, I think I, I agree. Because God is not trying to drain you of your sexual energy. He knows you're a sexual being. Duh. Um, But it's trying to help you be self-disciplined. So what is the best way to show that? To let that stand out? You know, without making you feel ashamed of what he has given you. We don't need shame, really. There's one reason why the erotic is so feared and often relegated to the bedroom only when it is recognized at all. For once, we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives. Yes, it's it's like an acknowledgement of everything that you are and everything that you're in the moment, and you're just at ease. We begin to demand from ourselves and from our life pursuits that they feel in accordance with that joy which we know ourselves to be capable of. Our erotic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their relative meaning within our lives. And this is a grave responsibility projected from within each of us, not to settle for the convenience, the study, the conventionally accepted, not the merely safe. (laughs) <laughs> during world war ii we bought sealed plastic packets of white uncolored margarines with a tiny instant palette of yellow coloring perched into a topaz topaz just inside the clear skin of the bag we would leave the margarine out for a while to soften then we would pinch the little palette pellet to break it into the bag releasing the rich yellowness into the soft pale mass of margarine then taking it carefully between our fingers we would knead it gently back and forth over and over until the colors change throughout till the colors spread throughout the whole pound bag of margarine thoroughly coloring it i feel the erotic such a canal within myself when released from its intense and constrained pellets it flows through the colors my life through and it flows through and colors my life with the kind of energy that heightens and sensitizes and strengthens all my experiences do i make my point have i made my point sexism 
an American disease in blackface. I'm about, I'm about to run out of time. And I gotta stop. <laughs> Makes me sad. <laughs> Makes me sad. Ooh, I think we're almost done. Um, Let's see how to raise children. Okay. I'm going to rush through and I'm not going to explain. Black feminism is not white feminism in blackface. Black women have particular and legitimate issues which affect our lives as black women and addressing those issues does not make us any less black. To attempt to open the dialogue between black women and black men by attacking black feminists seems short-sighted and self-defeating. Yet, this is what Robert Staples, black sociologist, has done in The Black Scholar. Despite our recent economic gains, black women are still in the lowest paid group in the nation by sex and race. This gives some ideas of the inequity inequity from which we started. In Sable's own words, black women in 1979 were threatened to overtake black men by the next century in education, occupation, and income. In other words, the inequity is self-evident, but how is it justifiable? Black feminists speak as women because we are women and we do not need others to speak for us. It is for the black men to speak up and tell us why and how their manhood is so threatened by black women that black women should be the prime target of their justifiable rage. What correct analysis of this capitalist dragon within which we live can legitimize the rape of black women by black men? At least black feminism and other black women have begun this much-needed dialogue, however bitter our words. At least we are not mowing down our brothers in the streets or bludgeoning them in death with armors yet. Bludgeoning them to death with armors yet. Okay, we recognize the fallacies of separate separatist sol- <laughs> solutions. Um, just complaining there. Things are not going well. Whatever the structural underpinnings, um, for sexism in the black community may be, it is obviously black women who are bearing the brunt of that sexism. So it is in our best interest to abolish it. We invite our black brothers to join us since ultimately that abolition is in their best interest also. For black men are also diminished by sexism, which robs them of meaningful connection to black men and our struggles. Yup, 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 that toxic masculinity must die. Connect to people. Stop thinking you are so great. You need emotional connection, my love. Emotional connection, strong ones. Since since it is black women who are being abused, however, and since it's our female blood that is being shed, it is for black women to decide whether or not sexism in the black community is pathological. And we do not approach that discussion theoretically. These creative relationships that Staples speak up, speaks about within the black community are also invariably those which operate to the benefit of black males, given the black male of female ratio and the implied power balance within a supply and demand situation. Moving on. You get the idea. Raising black children. No, 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 no. I guess it's, it's quite long, but I wanted to get to this part. So let's get into it. To help give me perspective, I remember that for years, in the name-calling school, po- boys shouted at Jonathan. Jonathan is a son. At Jonathan, not... They shouted at him not, your mother is a lesbian, but rather, your mother is a nigger. 
Okay. When Jonathan was eight years old and in the third grade, we moved and we went to a new school where his life was hellish as a new boy on the block. He did not like to play rough games. He did not like to fight. He did not like to stone dogs. And all this marked him earlier as an easy target. When he came in crying one afternoon, I heard from Beth. Beth is his older sister, one year older. How the, how the corner bullies were making Jonathan wipe their shoes on their way home whenever Beth wasn't there to fight them off. And when I heard that the ringleader was a little boy in Jonathan's class, his own size, an interesting and very disturbing thing happened to me. My fury at my own long ego impotence and my present pain at his suffering made me start to forget all that I knew about violence and fear and blaming the victim. And I started to hiss at the weeping child. The next time you come in here crying, and I immediately caught myself in horror. This is the way we allow the destruction of our sons to begin, in the name of protection and to ease our own pain. My son gets beaten up. I was about to demand that he buy that first lesson in the corruption of power. That might make, that might makes right. Uh, I could help myself. Um, I could hear myself beginning to perpetuate the old age distortion about what what strength and bravery really is. A lot of people actually complete that sentence. The next time you come in here crying, you better fight those people. It's not going to work. It's a kid. It's a kid and it's quite, it's quite a gentle kid. The bullies are the ones that are bullies. And no, Jonathan didn't have to fight if he didn't want to. But somehow he did have to feel better about not fighting. An older road over me of being the fat kid who ran away terrified of getting her glasses broken about that time a very wise woman said to me have you ever told jonathan um that once you used to be afraid too the idea seemed far-fetched to me at the time but the next time he came in crying and sweaty from having run away again i could see that he felt shame at having failed me or some image he, he, he and I had created in his head of a mother or woman. This idea of woman being able to handle it all was blustered by the fact that he lived in a household with three strong women, his lesbian parents and his fourth right older sister. At home, for Jonathan, power was clearly female. And because our society teaches us to think in an either or mode, kill or be killed, dominate or be dominated, this means that it might either surpass or be lacking. I could see the implications of this line of thoughts. Consider the two Western class myths or models of mother-son relationships, Jocasta and Oedipus. Why? Terrible example. The son who fucks his mother and Clytemnestra and Orestes, the son who kills his mother, is all felt connected to me. I sat down on the hallway steps and took jonathan on my laps on my lap sorry and wiped his tears did i ever tell you about how i used to be afraid when i was your age i will never forget the look on that little boy's face as i told him the tale of my glasses and my after school fights it was a look of relief and total disbelief all rolled into one it's it is as hard for our children to believe that we are not omnipotent omnipotent as it is for us to know it as parents but that knowledge is necessary as the first step in the reassessment of power as something other than might age privilege or the lack of fear it's an important step for a boy whose societal destruction begins when he is forced to believe that he can only be strong if he doesn't feel (laughs) or if he wins that is like you don't don't just boss children into things, okay? 
they will not understand why they won't understand why they need to stand up for themselves. They will just know that you told them to stand up for themselves and they will continue to do it. And you would have lost a teaching moment there where you can help them realize that you don't always have to be strong all the time, you know, to act tough all the time. Because that's what men grow up to believe. Like when they shout at you like that, you always feel like you always have to stand up for yourself and protect your tough and be a man in the that toxic way. Um, so, but let's grow up with Jonathan a bit. So let me continue reading the story. Um, I thought about it. I, I thought about all this one year later when Beth and Jonathan, 10 and 9, were asked by an interviewer how they thought they had been affected by children of a feminist. Jonathan said that he didn't think there was too much in feminism for boys, although it certainly was good to be able to cry if he felt like it and not to have to play football if he didn't want to. I think of this sometimes now that I see him practicing for his brown belt in taekwondo. The strongest lesson I can teach my son is the same lesson I teach my daughter, how to be who he wishes to be for himself. And the best way I can do this is to be who I am and hope that he can learn from this and not how to be me, which is not possible, but how to be himself. And this means how to move to that voice from within himself rather than to those um, persuasive or threatening voices from outside, from out, outside, persuading him to be what the world wants him to be, and that is hard enough. This she's speaking as a lesbian, this thing, but there are so many things to learn from her, because I always, I usually well I talk to my friend a lot about how as women, like when you have daughters, and there's a whole lot of shame going on. Like I don't know if a lot of shame going on. Like when mothers don't really teach their daughters how to like they teach you how to cook, they teach you how to do this, they teach you how to do that. But they didn't teach you how to embrace your femininity, like be proud of it. They teach you how to be functional. They don't teach you how to be proud of just being a woman. Do you understand? But instead they learn from you, like cover up, where you're this thing to this point, where you're all this thing, don't open your legs. Things like that. It's, it's either train you to be functional it's not even either it's the two of them train you to be functional then teach you about security but not teach you about how you are perfect and beautiful and it's fine things like that so and somebody that doesn't move that way cannot teach your child that, that like they observe you they learn how to be confident from you if you don't do that for yourself then you can't do it for them so and if you can't do it for yourself you can't if you if you don't have it in yourself you're not well balanced in yourself and you don't know who you are then they will look for who they are outside and so many things will whisper to them trust me jonathan is learning to find himself to find within himself some of the different faces of courage and strength whenever he chooses to call them Two years ago, when Jonathan was 12 and in the 7th grade, one of his friends at school who had been to the house persisted in calling Francis the maid. Francis is a lover. Audrey's lover. The author's lover. Um, the child, the friend called Francis the maid. When Jonathan corrected him, the boy then referred to her as the cleaning, la- as the cleaning woman. Finally, Jonathan said simply, Francis is not the cleaning woman. She's my mother's lover. Interestingly, interestingly enough, it is the, the teachers at this school who still have not recovered from his openness. 
Mm-hmm. I like his reply. <laughs> I like Jonathan's reply. I can imagine myself being his teacher. I don't support um all of that, but I support your bravery. Okay? Don't let anybody bully you. <laughs> I I won't necessarily say that, but like I'll clap for him. I don't in situations like that, I've been a teacher anyway. In situations where I like, don't don't speak, just validate the child any way that you can. Then make sure the other one knows that he's in the wrong for trying to like bully him. Like Jonathan, you did well, kid. I like how calm you are, how you express yourself. I don't let people bully you. You are a very great kid. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Um. I'm going to have to stop you. Yeah. Um, that's it for this book. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye.